So if you don't know by, by now, you should be in Psalm 11. In the holiday period, I've been working through a few of these Psalms. In the first ones I looked at, we looked at who is God, His creation, everything He's created for us. And then in Psalm 8, we looked at who is man. When we look at the reality of the cosmos around us and the size of it all, then we are nothing. But God says you are something. You are my created being and I love you. And he's made us in his image. And we are part of his awesome creation plan. And he's perfecting that plan. And when Jesus returns, that'll be the fulfillment of that plan of salvation. So we're part of a big story. And today we're going to look in Psalm 11 at how do we now put this truth into practice of who God is, who we are, and now we hit everyday life. How do we put this in practice? And we're going to learn how to do that from this psalm, Psalm 11. So let's read it together. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fired their arrow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let Him, capital H, let Him rain coals on the wicked, Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Why? For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. What a beautiful psalm. Experience shows that there are many disappointed, defeated, doubting, and cynical Christians around. Many of those disappointed Christians are still going to church, going through the motions of being believers, participating in the externals of Christianity, but their faith no longer brings peace and motivation to their everyday lives. They no longer experience the joy of being a Christian. They feel much less like a Christ, they feel much less like a Christ follower and more like a Christ drag. Could I be describing you perhaps this morning? Here are some signs of a disappointed Christian. When you're disappointed with something, you don't want to invest in or participate in it. So, why read God's Word? Why pray? Why hang around with other believers? Why read good Christian books? Why encourage others to believe the faith that you believe? when none of these things seem to make a difference. Here's the very psalm you and I need today, if you're in that position, to lift your head and to refocus your heart. Psalm 11, the first three verses. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? 
For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You hear the voices of despair? You see, the psalm comes straight out of a crisis. Flee into hiding, say the voices. Take to the hills. Your life's in danger. The voices are still ringing in David's ears when he writes the psalm. We're not sure what the specific situation is, but historically we know that David's life was in danger many times. King David. He was being hunted by King Saul before he, David actually became king. Saul wanted to kill him because he saw him as a threat to the throne. He was being hunted by his own son, Absalom, for quite a while. And Absalom nearly got to him because he loved his son, Absalom. And then many enemies of Israel didn't want David to take to the throne. And so David's advisors insist, flee, David. The situation looks dire, helpless. Take refuge in the mountains, go into the caves, hide in the crevices on the high ground where you can defend your position. Get going, David. Your life's in danger. And the advice was well-meant and persuasive. You see, David, as the mainstay of his people of Israel, had to save his life at all costs because he was the next king. But it was dispiriting. You could never feel safe. His enemies were constantly attempting to end his life. As verse 2 says, they were hiding in the shadows and trying to assassinate him. Subterfuge and underhand tactics were the order of the day. This wasn't a clear David and Goliath confrontation. Things have changed. You see, with David and Goliath, he knew exactly where he stood. He either killed Goliath or he was killed. Plain and simple. No one else was involved. But now his enemies were coming at him out of the shadows where he couldn't see them. They would use any method to end his life. And the temptation was there for David to react to the fright with flight. To give heed to those voices to offer, who were offering their version of where refuge was to be found, his advisors. He could listen to his fears and become dejected. And give up. And so that statement or the question rather in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Is that a statement of despair? Has he got his hands in his hair? We'll see. Today evangelical Christianity is rejected by a mainstream of our society. We're told the Bible is unhelpful and outdated anyway. The basic principles that you and I were brought up with, of what a moral life was to be built on. Those things are now in the past. And they're being turned around as a minority view, as a fundamental viewpoint by vocal minority groups in our society. Those vocal minority groups are now emerging, the conditions are right. They are now emerging from the shadows and taking orchestrated Pot shots at specifically Christianity. And that is why Family First is having such a hard battle to stay afloat and to have their voice heard in New Zealand. And what's the biggest frustration to us as believers is that everyone just seems to be going along with it. You look around you in society, 
Family first, specifically, and I'm mentioning them, I didn't plan this, by the way. Family first is doing such a good job of raising the, the concerns for families with the legislation and everything being passed, and yet society turns against them. Radio shows don't want to host them because they're unpopular. What was good in our society is now seen as bad, and vice versa. How to bring up your children. Children. What marriage is supposed to look like. What gender is. And then our biased language, the PCness. I saw the ultimate in the U.S. Congress recently. Probably some of you picked up on this one. Missouri congressman who ended a prayer in Congress with our men and our women. Didn't get it. But peaciness got it. You see? Don't even understand. Our laws are being changed to support society's immoral attitudes. And the very foundations of our society in New Zealand and worldwide are being shaken and undermined. And these changes affect you and I, the church. We live in the world. And these changes must affect us. Otherwise, you're going through life with closed eyes. And so many of our young people and adults who were brought up in the church and taught the truth of God for years on, have walked away from the faith or have given into world-accommodating lifestyles and compromise. And as a pastor, I sometimes feel like a failure. As Christian parents, we can feel responsible and get dejected when our kids walk away. As Christians, you and I can start to think, this is all too hard. Is it all worth it? And we become disappointed Christians. Our spiritual lives are affected. What do these voices cry to us today? Find help. Flee to the mountains. Where do we go? Google Mountain. Self-help courses. Therapy. Pitbulls. You see, when fright takes hold of us, we flee to the supposed safety. But it's only temporary. It makes us feel better until the next faith or physical crisis hits. And then we're back in that dark despair boat and our world caves in again. So what can the psalm teach us? You see, that's where we are in verses 1 to 3. The psalmist Looks as if he's deep in despair because the world is caving in on him and his life is in danger. What can the righteous do when our foundations are being undermined? And then we get to those glorious four, verse, four verses, four, five, six, seven. The forgotten dimension that he highlights to us. Hear what he says. Despite what's happening around you, David, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord tests the righteous. He is the righteous one. And he loves the righteous. Amazing. So there's David's statement of faith. Verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. Here I stand. Come what may. My hiding place is in the Lord. 
The more, it's more than just mere words and brave words to David. His eyes are lifted from the mountains to the creator of the mountains, God himself. And where is this Lord when David's world's crumbling? Where is this God when disappointment piles in on David, when dejection is about to overwhelm him? Where is this God? The Lord is in residence. He's not in flight. The Lord's city has foundations and it is immovable, says Hebrews chapter 11. So where is this Lord? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, Solomon's temple hadn't yet been built, so what's he talking about? Well, the Old Testament, the temple was what? God with people in the tabernacle place where God meets with man. So what's David saying? The Lord is in his holy temple. God is with us when everything is crumbling in around me. Who is this God? If you look at your Bible, you'll see the Lord, Jehovah, is in his holy temple. Who is Jehovah? We've seen this so often now. You can say it nearly. God of the armies. God of the heavenly forces. The Almighty One. He is the one who is in His holy temple. This is a holy God. He's not influenced by evil. He's not influenced by bribery and corruption. He's not influenced by the scheming of men. He's not influenced by changing morality in society. Our God remains the unchanging, holy God. He is in His temple. He is with His people. Come what may. And that's not all. There's more. Verse 4. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He sits in a position of authority and power. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in the executive seat of power. His will will be done. No ifs, no buts. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, says Isaiah. His will will be done. In your life too, His will will be done. You see, He's God with us, but He's Almighty God. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, says that prayer we know so well. So what enemy is stronger than this God? What place of refuge is stronger than our God? He's the all-powerful, he's the all-knowing, says verse 4. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Now you need to understand what he's saying here. His eyes see everything we do. And then it says his eyes test. These eyelids grow closer to each other. What does that mean? When you're scrutinizing something, that's the language used here. When the Lord looks closely at someone's life, he tests them. When he looks at the believer's life, he tests us. We've all seen the yacht races now in Auckland, right? Man, yesterday's one was fantastic to the millisecond nearly, minute. But those boats, you saw what happened to the American boat. It fell over and got a big hole, and they fixed it. And now they've changed things. They've tested it, they've improved it, and now it's much better. That's the sense of being used here. The Lord tests those he loves. 
He narrows His eyes on us. He works on us. He builds us up. He puts us through dark times. But He builds us to be stronger and more like His Son. He tests the righteous. And the wicked, those who do not bow the knee to God, what does he do? Our text carries on. The wicked will not escape judgment. It doesn't matter if they're hiding in the shadows, taking pot shots at you. It doesn't matter what society is saying against Christianity. The wicked will not escape the judgment of the one who is enthroned as God Almighty in heaven. This is in direct contrast and comparison to his love for you and I, the righteous. And Scripture often uses this phrase, the Lord hates the wicked. God doesn't hate people. It's in comparison to the love He has for His people, He hates the wicked. That's the way Scripture uses it. What does God hate? He hates the hearts that are not turned His way. He hates the deeds that are not given to Him. He hates the wicked. And what will happen to them? A righteous God will bring a righteous judgment. Verse 6, like at Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's always in the Old Testament, used as the example of what God does for those who are not bent the knee to Him. He rains sulfur and fire and scorching wind on them, His judgment. And it is a perfect judgment because He's a perfect judge. And so that's our God He is a righteous God, says verse 7. Perfectly righteous in His goodness and in His judgment. A righteous God. And so in the end, doesn't matter what you're going through now, righteousness will be done. How do we know that? Because the very righteous character of God guarantees it. I am who I am says, Almighty God, my will will be done. I have declared it, I will do it, says the Lord, and my zeal will accomplish it. So what must the righteous do when their very foundations are under attack? What must we do in 2021 when it seems like everything is against us when it comes to morality? Here's the answer. Verse 7, the Lord loves righteous deeds. So what must we do as believers when everything seems to be against us? We must continue to do what is right, whatever the price may be. Don't compromise. Don't give in to societal pressures. Don't try and live a half-Christian lifestyle. There is no such thing. It's either obedience or disobedience. It's all or nothing. It's faithfulness or faithlessness. There is no gray area. How do we live lives like this? Because humanly it's impossible. We're back to verse 7. We take our refuge in Him. Our hearts, our minds. Why? Because the upright shall behold His face. And so as we live our lives before the Lord, we live in the very face of God. You've heard this Latin phrase before, coram Deo, living before the face of God. His eyes are on us, but we are in Him, and we are found in Him. 
And if we do so, then it doesn't matter what the situation is around us. It doesn't matter what society throws at us. He will once again lift up our heads and we shall behold his face. Yes? What do we do with this? Two points of application. Verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, in the light of the whole psalm, is that a cry of despair? No. It's a question pointing to the answer. What can the righteous do? When the laws are not upheld around us, when morality is undermined, when evil sweeps on seemingly unchecked, what shall we do when the Bible is undermined? When its teachings are disregarded, when so many in the church seem to support this rising tide of immorality and secularism, what shall we do when fright hits us? First application, don't flee. Flight is not an option. We recognize that from Golgotha, at Christ's death, to Armageddon, at Christ's return... There will be tumult. There will be opposition in our culture, in our communities, and in our own spiritual lives. There will be tumult. How do we know that? Jesus warned us. There will be wars and rumors of wars, says the Lord. You are going to have hard times. And what do we do when these hard times come against us? We're human, right? We groan against it. Because we're human. We groan against it. And we work hard as believers in society to hold back the consequences of the curse. But, believers, we do not despair. We do not despair as the losers in history might. Why? Because we saw a couple of weeks ago, we are the future kings and queens of the universe under and in Christ. We will rule with Him. And we are strangers and exiles in this present time, says Hebrews 11. And that's true. Sometimes that's what it feels like. And we need to be reminded. But we are not losers. There will be wars and rumors of wars, said the Lord. Literal wars, societal wars, and cultural wars. And we'll be involved in those. There'll be globe-impacting events as we're experiencing worldwide. And as you turn on BBC News and whatever news you want, more and more so as new strains come. But is that the end? Hopeless? No. Who's on the move? King Jesus is on his throne in his temple and he is the soon to be returning king he's not sitting still he is preparing his kingdom and we are part of that and so we fight those things that come against us not from a position of defeat we fight from a position of strength almighty god is with us If we are joined to him, we share in his anointing, 1 John 2.20 says. We are joined to Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You are a joined to Jesus one. 
That's what a Christ follower is. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are joined to Him. That's what it means to be the church. You are a joined to Jesus Christ gathering of believers we call the church. Joined to Him. So flight is no option. Second point, and then the last one. Faith is more than anthems. That's why I really liked this song by Newsboys. The words again, a couple of them. So, when the stuff of life hits against us, let our faith be more than anthems, greater than the songs we sing. And in our weakness and our temptations, we believe. There's nothing else to fall back on. In the end, anthems and songs are just words. When all's going well, it's easy to sing these songs with all our hearts and as loudly as we can. But when crisis hits, do we suddenly grow quiet? Do we stop our singing? Is our faith no longer there? Have those words become just words? Do we believe 100% convinced that God will come through for us because He said He will? That we can trust Him and His promises to us? Do we find, says the psalmist, do we find our refuge in Him in practice? I want you to repeat after me. If you're a believer here today, then repeat these words after me. If you're not a believer here today, please don't repeat what I'm saying now. But bow the knee to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here, repeat these words with David and with me. In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. For the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. That sounded like your wedding vows, right? I hope you meant those as well. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. That's our prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we live our everyday lives in 2021. Who knows what's ahead of us? But it really doesn't matter. Because in you, we take our refuge. You are in your holy temple. You are seated on your throne. And you love righteousness. And thank you that you have put your righteous eyes on us. And you are making us more righteous every single day. Like your son. Lord, help us in our weakness. When like David, we cry, where will my help come from? Will I flee to the mountains? Help us to put our faith into practice. To walk our lives not by sight, but to use our eyes of faith 
and know that you'll be true to your word, that you will be through every step we take through whatever situation. You will be faithful. You will never leave us in the lurch. You will be there. And in the end, our eyes will see Almighty God. What wondrous words. What wondrous promises. Help us now in our weakness, we pray. Amen.